Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99% where the real gains are made. We are back with Elliot Bassett. Hey, everybody. And we have a special guest. We have Coach Greenleaf, the head coach of Skidmore Swimming and Diving. She's been the head coach for what, going on 20 years now? Exactly. And she was fortunate enough to coach me like 20 years ago. So um, I'm super excited to have her on. I, this is a, a fun podcast for me because I have two people that have coached me at various points in, in my career that I get to talk to at the exact same time. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty excited about that. And I guess the main topic we're going to kind of talk about today is, is how swimmers progress and maybe what triathletes can take away from that instead of just triathletes going to the pool and trying to swim hard. Um, and as we get started here, I want to talk a little bit about like the Skidmore program, because I think, I don't know if a lot of people really have a good handle on like what a division three uh, program kind of looks like. Um, I know when I was there, we had some people that walked on the team that had never swam competitively before. And then we had some people that have been swimming competitively their whole life and were, you know, moving up the, up and down the pool pretty well. So can you kind of run us through what your, what your program looks like and, and um, maybe brag a little bit about where it was when I was there, when we had, I don't know, a men's team of six to, to how you guys are doing now. Um, thanks, Jesse. It's great to be here. Uh, Definite a definitely a huge transition um, in the last 19 plus years in terms of where the team is. Uh, started out with, as Jesse said, I think we had six guys and 10 gals, a um, couple down at the, the other end of the pool on the diving boards. Um, we're up to 22 women and 24 men. Um, and obviously as the, the depth has, has changed, uh, so has the, the quality of the athlete that we're able to recruit and draw to Skidmore. Uh, the majority of our athletes come in having a club in high school swimming and diving background, um, depending on which end of the pool they're at. Um, there are a couple still that come in maybe and haven't, you know, swum year round, you know, maybe just a high school only athlete. Um, I think that happens a lot less now than it used to, but I think that's also a byproduct of sports specialization, you know, across the country and not just necessarily um, you know, where we're able to, to now draw from uh, as a school recruiting, you know, more and more successful athletes. Um, but there's certainly still a lot of development to be had um, in the team that we have. Um, you know, and as far as you, you asked a question earlier, what was the first part of the question about D3 swimming? I think it's just about balance. You know, they get to really embrace high level academics while also um, getting a chance to you know, see what they can do in terms of their potential in the pool. And like, how often are you guys swimming right now? Or I guess not right now, but when you're in season. Yeah. So I think the big limiter is we we're allowed 19 weeks that we're allowed to train them. So we start at the end of September, we go through the end of February um, where division one is going to be able to continue in that off season with their coaching staff. Um, we offer 10 to 11 workouts per week. We require five or six. So the minimum that they're doing is two hours every day in the water, um, one day a week off, and then twice a week in the weight room. Uh, some of them will swim an extra two workouts a week uh, for maybe another hour and a half. So two mornings a week in addition to their five or six afternoons a week. Kind of depends on what their 
specialization is. We tend to keep, you know, our folks that are more distance oriented in the water a little bit more um, than our sprinters, just because that's what they need phys- physiologically. Is that more self? Is that self-selected, or is that more like guided by you and your staff? Um, for the most part, it's it's a one-on-one decision between my the coaching staff, myself, um, and the athlete. But it's not just hey, you're a really great distance swimmer, you need to do doubles. You're not a great distance swimmer, you don't need to do doubles. Um, our best female distance swimmer never did doubles while she was here. Um, many others have. Um, it's really a decision based on how they're doing and their development. I think for some of our distance athletes, they need that extra work, especially because of what they did prior to Skidmore. Mm-hmm. For others, if they try to do that, it burns the candle at both ends and then their overall training suffers. And maybe, you know, if we kept kind of pushing, we'd be at the risk for overtraining. So I think it's just something that we're sensitive individually to. And so you have 46 folks in your program right now. I'm actually curious, as you've built it over the years, has it gotten easier to give people more flexibility because they always have a training partner or is it just more balls in the air or some combination? Does that make sense? Yeah, probably a little bit of both. Um, You know, Skidmore, like other division three liberal arts institution has a, a rigorous academic schedule. So the reason that we have those two practices a day so that, you know, if they have a late afternoon lab, they can they can come in the morning that day all semester instead in the afternoon. Um, yeah. But now it's, so then we're juggling what their academic schedule is, what training group they're in, and the disparity of athletes between, you know, men and women and, and different abilities. So sometimes it's a little bit of a big juggle to make sure that you have folks that are training together appropriately in the right lane, since we only have a six lane pool. Gotcha. Is that the pool you swim in, Jesse? I assume so. Yeah, I don't know. You assume so? Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, yeah, even just thinking about 46 people all at once, that's um, that's a big crew. That's, I mean, that's cool. We, yeah, we don't do it very often. One day a week at most. The rest of the time they're, they're split up because, you know, take six divers out, you still have 40. It's a lot of people in lanes and, and that would... That would make me lose my mind. I think a little bit <laughs> assistance would be, would be questioning our sanity. Before Jesse, before we get into triathlon specific stuff, just from a swimming standpoint, I'm curious. Um, you mentioned, you know, you break your, your, you know, you said sprinters and, and distance swimmers, but, um, like how many different groups and how do you label your groups? Um, and then what is kind of the breakdown of what that might be? And I know it's constantly changing, but like, what's the general, like, there's what do you name them and why and who falls in that group? And then what's like the physiological reasoning behind that from your perspective? That's a huge question. That question I'm... just got really big. That's okay. That's a question I get a lot. We're good. Okay. Um, Let's hear the answer. Well, that's, a, that's a recruiting question, right? So you yeah, know, trying to figure out where they want to go swim. They want to know that exact, that exact question. Um, so we're going to break down into basically three groups. Um, we have our sprinters. Those are the folks that are predominantly swimming 50 and 100. So most of their races are going to be under, for women, under a minute, for men, under hopefully 50, 52 seconds um, for the most part. Um, And then you have your strokers. Those are your folks that are are predominantly swimming your your 100, 200 distances. Um, So right around that that minute time frame for their race on up to two, two minute, 30 seconds. Um, Maybe for most of their races, those are your 200, 100 backstrokers, breaststrokers, flyers. 
Um, sometimes we'll have some of our 200 freestylers in that group. Um, and, and then we're gonna do a subset usually of the strokers group for our IMers. Um, and that's you know the race that has all four strokes uh, within it. So oftentimes there'll be a, a little subset for how the stroke group is gonna be swum for someone who's purely an IMer. Um, you know, a day or two. And per- just so you know, most of our listeners will get all your swim lingo. And if not, they're going to reach out to one of us and ask. So just okay, cool. dive I- all in. We'll, we'll follow along. Perfect. And then the last one, last group that we have is our distance swimmers. So 560,000, okay. maybe 400 IMers in there, depending on the creativity of the set that day. Okay. All righty. And then, so then, um, so then you will, you'll have some workouts where you're like, okay, well today the 200 free in the distance is doing the same set. No, um, or not too often. Not Probably not. Okay. Too um, usually on Mondays we do that. Mondays tend to be everybody together. Um, mm-hmm. sometimes on Wednesdays, uh, we'll have maybe 200 freestylers up with the, the distance swimmers for, if we're doing something more pace oriented, um, because on Wednesdays, we tend to be a little bit more quantitative. Jesse, a long time ago, we used to call that test set days. Um, so we tend to be a little more quantitative on those days, a little more pace focused. Um, and sometimes that's where the 200 freestylers will fit in better. Um, but for the most part, the 200 free is a pretty different race than the 500,000 or the 1650. So we'll keep them separate. I would agree. Um, that actually kind of rolls nicely into a question I had that if, do you have like, um, kind of a weekly schedule like that, where like Monday is kind of like whatever aerobic day, Wednesday is test set day. Do you have like a flow that you kind of stick to throughout the year? I do. Um, I think it's good for, for them mentally to kind of know what they're coming down to mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. Um, so generally we do Mondays are, are aerobic. Uh, they tend to be a little more distance oriented. So that's my sprinters least favorite day uh, of the week. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we always break up sprint stroke distance. Um, Wednesdays will tend to break up um, still sprint stroke distance. Sometimes it might just be short and long um, because as I said, it tends to be a a day more focused on quantitative stuff. So we're doing, you know, either recording, you know, best, best average times. We're, we're doing all outs off the blocks. We're doing pace work kind of depends on where we are in the season in terms of what the actual set is, um, but it's gonna be more timed and more specific in that way to their races. Fridays are a little bit of a catch as catch can because you know we might, we're gonna be racing a lot of Saturdays over the course of the season. Um, so we generally won't do a sprint set on Fridays. Um, we might break up again, short and long or stroke and distance uh, or do something all more anaerobic work for everybody. Um, just because the sprinters won't have enough recovery time if we were to do a true power set um, going into a competition on Saturday, say at one o'clock with a late late Friday afternoon practice. About how many uh, meets do you have a year? Uh, about a dozen over the course of the season. So about eight dual meets, three invitationals, and then our Liberty Lake Championship. Okay. And then is, the, I should know this, but I don't, is that, and then is there, a, I'm assuming there's a nationals, but then you qualify out of your just times from the year. Correct. So national okay. middle of March, if a swimmer qualifies for that, we mm-hmm. can have our season through that. Okay. But there's not a regional or anything. So it kind of, okay. For most swimmers, then it just ends at conference, which you've got a set date. So then, then do you build those 19 weeks pretty specifically to that conference meet then? 
100%. We'll do a, uh, a focused meet at the beginning of December mm -hmm. uh, where we'll do a little bit of a, a little bit of a taper, a little bit of a drop, um, that we focus on just to kind of give, give the coaches an idea, especially for the freshmen, how they're responding, um, to the training that we've been doing and kind of make sure that we have a clear sense of what events people are going to be focusing on for the second half of the season. Uh, and then it'll be all, all in and, and all focused for the end of February. Jesse, can I ask a taper question? Yeah. Okay. Um, i sorry. I think it just froze. Um, well, I just, <laughs> we're going to get to triathlon stuff, I swear. But, um, so, cause you have the, so you have those three groups and then I'm, I'm curious, like, do you have a general kind of taper and is it different between the three groups? And, and then, so that's the first question. And then the, the second question is specifically, how do you taper your distance swimmers? And like, what's your philosophy behind that? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a big believer in taper is an art and a science. Um, it, it's, it's not just, you know, decrease by this percentage every day and, and have it work. Um, I wish it, I wish it were that sometimes, um, I'd probably be able to, to nail it all the time. Um, but I do think here at Skidmore, we've had some pretty good success, um, with tapering our athletes, but I, it's definitely driven by, by sprint stroke and distance, um, and also by gender, uh, by men and women and, and body type, frankly, um, you know, there's just, so you'll break down different swimmers in the same group in, of the same sex. Cause you're just paying. So then, so, so someone, so like, what's the extreme of the longest taper versus the shortest? So a really muscular bound male sprinter, you know, yeah. he might be, he might be almost three weeks out from conference starting to, starting to bring it down. In some ways there's a mm -hmm. natural taper that almost starts with, with our program and, and most other division three collegiate programs, because we do a three week overload, uh, set session. Um, in the beginning part of January till when classes begin. Um, it's my favorite time of year because usually we get to go on training trip, but we'll swim doubles um, for most of January 2nd to January 24th or so. And then as classes start, we start to, to edge down um, back into single sessions for the majority of our athletes. So there's already kind of a taper beginning, even if they don't feel like it's taper because the stress of school um, pushes them you know, into, into other types of stress and other types of fatigue. Um, but yeah, maybe three weeks for, for a, a really muscular male sprinter. So then what's the general breakdown for your distance, uh, your distance swimmers, both male and female? Yeah, probably men, again, they're going to rest a, a little bit more, um, than most of our women mm -hmm. and de depends on their background and their body type. And, and honestly, what they tell us because I think sometimes what they believe works for them will work for mm -hmm. them regardless of the physiology. <laughs> um, so we lay it out from 14 days for, for the general group. Um, distance mm -hmm. probably going to start to notice a difference 10 to seven days out. They're going to start to feel like, okay, we're resting a little bit more. Um, that's about the time that we, we phase down weights. That's about the time that we take away doubles. If they've been doing doubles, it's about two weeks out. So they're going to start to, to notice those differences. Then they're not usually going to see a major drop in volume uh, of work until, till probably five to seven days out um, from championships. And the, the big thing to remember that for us there 
is five to seven days out from the start of championships is still three more days till the end of championships and the longest race mm-hmm. of championships is on the last day. So, so it's eight, to, uh, eight to um, 10, 11, 11 days. Yeah. Okay. Well, so that, that's, I, so that was totally a leading question. Uh, just because I'm, I, I'm, ple- I'm pleasantly surprised. I wasn't really sure what your answer was going to be, but, um, basically you don't, you don't really have that long of a taper for your distance swimmers. You know, it's pretty succinct and it's to the point and it's to get ready for one specific, you know, a couple of events. So these are people who are swimming 500,000, 1650, which by triathlon standards are sprints. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just not that long. And I think Jesse and I both in our jobs as, as triathlon coaches, we frequently are asked, why aren't I starting my taper three and four weeks out? And I'm often just like, what are you talking about? Why would you just get out of shape for the month before the race? Um, so it seems like you're, you're of that same belief and obviously sprinting is more or less physiologically a totally different event. Um, or it is, um, so that's good to hear Jesse. Um, I was just over here reminiscing about uh, training camp and how I've never twitched so much from from swimming in my entire life and still to this day I haven't. Um, so thank you for that. <laughs> uh, Where'd you go? Uh, Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. You went to Dorado, I think. And um, I think. Did you go to Florida with me once too? No, I think I only got to do one. I think something happened and we, we got the pleasure of being in Skidmore, um, over the winter, which. Oh, your, your first year, your first year was my first year. So we couldn't book things. So my, your second year we went to Puerto Rico. Right. That was much more fun than being at Skidmore in the winter. It's, it's pretty chilly there. Yeah. Um, all right. So we kind of, we started backwards with a taper. Um, can you do like, I know this is a hard zoom out, but can you zoom out and talk about the entire year? Like from, you know, what does day one look like? And then what is your kind of overarching thoughts as you kind of progress people for those 19 weeks, I guess. And And we're going to go distance 500 to 1650 specific. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess part of that is colored by where they come in. Um, you know, the last, the last 18 months, um, that's been a very different question um, than previously. Um, usually, you know, at the start of a season, you know, we'll be focused those first four, four to five weeks um, on fine tuning, refining techniques, seeing where people are, where they're at, um, and what needs to be changed and improved. Um, we spend a lot of time during that piece on stuff that doesn't really apply to triathlons, you know, turns, um, underwater work, that's a huge focus in competitive swimming right now. Um, and especially for distance swimmers, the number of walls that they're gonna do in a 1650, um, you really gotta hammer that home. Um, so we'll start with a pretty good emphasis on that during those first to four to five weeks. Um, and then on general conditioning. So we'll probably do more longer, um, maybe overall slower. Uh, swims during that time than we do as we progress later into the season. Um, Later into the season, it will become more pace specific, um, you know, and and the varying amounts of rest, you know, as we start moving into talking about holding paces on, you know, sets of 50s, 100s, 125s, um, 
early in the season, they'll get lots of rest when we're trying to target those paces or the paces will be, you know, play, pace plus two, pace plus three um, so that they can be successful. And then as we move later into the season, the amount of recovery time that they're going to have when they're trying to hold that pace is going to drop a little bit or the target is going to become, you know, really hitting exactly where they need to go um, to meet their goal times. Um, so, so that will change over the course of the season. Um, I, I think the other thing that, that we try to do is we try to um, use, our, use our mesocycles based on kind of how, how we are academically here. Um, and obviously in the triathlon world, that's maybe less important. Um, but you know, at, at Skidmore, I know that you know, the, the first week that we get going is usually the first third of the semester. So they're gonna have their first, their first papers, their first exams, and it's gonna be a super stressful week for them. So we won't hit it super hard that first week. We'll build in gradually um, with intensity. And then same thing, the, the week we have Vassar usually, um, the first week of November, I know that you know, we're about two thirds into the semester. You know, it's about two, three weeks before Thanksgiving break. Professors tend to be hammering home. It's, it's right around you know, midterms um, and things are a little dicey academically um, during that period. So we'll have a little bit easier week um, at that point during the semester. And that'll set, our, set us up um, for a bit of a drop taper at the beginning of December. Um, and of course the challenge becomes that they head home um, for final exams and, and study days, you know, right after that period, for usually about two weeks before they're back with us. So then we have to, you know, make sure we, we get them on their honor to, to keep swimming so that they're, they're ready to go, you know, when we're back on campus on January 2nd. Um, but we definitely will jump in a lot more aggressively um, right back into our goals and our training in the beginning of January um, because there's been a shorter break um, we know exactly where they were two weeks before in terms of conditioning and training. Um, so we can kind of jump right back into it. And, you know, that's when we'll really overload for that two and a half, three weeks of, you know, distance training, you know, certainly the highest volume that we're going to do all year since we'll swim five or six workouts on of doubles and then a workout or uh, a day off, depending on where we are within those three weeks. And so for the distance specific, you do your training camp and that's three weeks, you said? Mm -hmm. Right. Yes. And when you come back, sprinters will certainly taper off, but they're coming back and they're in school so they can kind of only do so much. So yes, they do less, but it sounds like you actually still are hitting it pretty hard for another three or so weeks before you start that taper um, right. for the distance swimmers. Yeah. And, and so then is that true? Okay. We're hitting it pretty hard for all. So a lot of your early January through the first or second week of February, um, because we're transitioning mm -hmm. doubles for everybody down to singles for the majority of them. Um, so they're automatically getting some pretty substantial reduction in, in volume at least. So oftentimes that, that period, we really keep the intensity up uh, of what we're doing. And so is the intensity just tr faster swimming or is or larger volume of intensity for, for your distance swimmers in particular? Um, it, it's, it's probably a, a bit of both. It's asking them to do repeats that are, you know, a lot more challenging, uh, and a little bit less rest. Um, you know, if you give a, if you give a distance swimmer, say a set of, you know, 
six six hundreds uh, freestyle on seven. It's only forty two minutes, mm -hmm. um, but you know they threw down yep. thirty six hundred yards in pretty short amount of time. Um, and and yeah. that short intense set isn't one we do very often. Um, but if it does happen, it happens something in that end of January, early February time. And that's so like from from our as a triathlon. I would think of that workout as like a, a very challenging, like Ironman or threshold kind of swim. It's probably something like if they were going to get ready for the hour postal swim, if, if they were 10 years older, um, that would be a great workout for that. But you're using that as more of also like just a base fitness as somebody's getting ready for a four to 10 minute race, or I guess 11 minutes, 11 and a half for a thousand. Yeah. I mean, and most of them, most of our distance swimmers were really writing them for a, you know, 1630 to 1815 uh, minute race. So we're going to use. Oh, cause the, sorry, I'm yeah. totally spacing the 1650. Yeah. The, the, at, gotcha. at the so they're doing a lot more volume for that. Exactly. Okay. So for a workout like that, how far away would they be from their goal pace? Like, would you give them uh, like a target pace that's, you know, like you were talking about in plus seconds for that, or would that just be that would, that would, for most of the times when we've given that type of set, it's just been a make it go, make yeah. it, um, go make it, get rest, you know, and depending on, um, who, who they are, we might tell them how much rest to get. And obviously, you know, Jesse, you remember this, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a, a dial down from that set. You know, there might be another group that's doing six, five fifties on seven, um, I don't think we have anyone that would be doing 500s on seven, um, but we might, you know, rewrite the set so that a different group is doing, you know, 600s on 730, something like that. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm just going to ask another workout question. <laughs> so that for this, for your 1650 group, what would you say is the most amount of volume at goal 1650 pace you'd give someone in a workout so obviously like you could do 20 by 100 on whatever the send off is at goal 1650 but like so that's 2000 but like what's the highest amount for your fittest fit swimmer that can do the most volume what would you say is the biggest workout you've given someone i'm thinking i'm thinking uh early in the season probably probably no more than four to five hundred yards you know at their pace mm -hmm. yeah Late later in the season, you know, that end of January, early February time, um, we might have them trying to do, you know, one one to one point two times the distance of the the sixteen fifty. So somewhere between, you know, sixteen and twenty one hundreds at pace. At, yep. But never substantially, never substantially more than, you know, two thousand yards at that pace. I think that's. That's a really and that would be with what kind of rest? A lot of times I'll, I'll actually drop it down as we go. Um, I think one of the things that, that I, I find helps some of our distance swimmers is psychologically, if you start a set where you ask them to hold the pace and they get, they got a lot of rest early on, they, they're able to, mm -hmm. to kind of embrace the pace and, and have it feel like easy swimming. Um, you know, relax mm -hmm. pace. Um, and then as we, so we might do, you know, seven or eight, one hundreds where they're getting, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds rest, um, on a hundred. Um, and, and, you know, they're going somewhere around double O to, to one Oh six 
um, for those folks that we're talking about. Um, and then we'll, we'll drop that rest down as they go later into the set um, so that they'll start to get, you know, 10 to 15 seconds rest for maybe five, six more 100s. Um, and then the last couple, they may have only be getting five to 10 seconds rest. Um, so they feel that challenge of holding the pace when they're super fatigued, which is how they're gonna feel exactly at the end of the mile, you know, in competition. Nice. It sounds hard. Erica did a very similar swim this morning and I did a quarter of it. So anyways, you basically inherited her swim results then, right? You got them. Me? Yeah, no, definitely not. <laughs> um, let me kind of like go a different direction for a few minutes. What, um, what tools or toys do you like to use with your swimmers? I feel like this has changed. And why? And why? Yeah, that's good. And how it's changed. That's a good one too. Yeah. Um, it's definitely changed. Um, I probably used, I probably used pull buoys and paddles a lot more almost 20 years ago, um, than I do now. Um, I still use them, uh, particularly paddles. I, I think I used to use paddles more for work. Um, and now I use paddles more for, for technique development, you know, holding the paddle differently, um, you know, using using it on their forearm instead of their hand, so they can work on that, um, you know, high vertical elbow uh, position. Um, so I, I kind of have tweaked how I use paddles, um, and maybe don't use them as much just to increase resistance as I did back earlier in my career. Um, I use use fins more. Um, probably than I did when I started uh, to, to take some pressure off shoulders, especially in the early part of the season uh, on our swimmers uh, and to, to help support some of the underwater work that we're trying to do. Um, honestly, it makes it fun for a lot of them. And you know, when it makes it fun, they embrace it. Uh, and I don't think I was using them when you were here, Jesse, but I use snorkels a pretty good amount too, um, to, to help with head position and body position. Again, that, that's a technique thing, um, but we'll also use it during training because it does definitely change, you know, how an athlete can breathe um, and, and, you know, things like aerobic capacity. I think it, it impacts that a little bit. Um, I think those are the big ones that, that we use, um, especially for, for our distance swimmers. You know, some of the other stuff that we use pretty routinely, parachutes, cords, power racks, that, that's more sprint focused. Um, and do you have, do you have like go-to like, I guess, brands or sizes for your fins and paddles that you're talking about? Um, for my fins, I, I just, I like, I don't know what they are. They're the speedo regular longer fin. They're, they're okay, not, they're they, yeah, they're, they're just basic. Um, yeah. you know, I really like some of the, the, the more specialty fins and we have a couple pairs of you know, 17 different fins that we'll use for different people. Um, you know, ones that can be swum with breaststroke and things like that. Um, but our, our basic one is just, I don't know, it used to be the Speedo Biofuse. They renamed it recently. I don't remember what it is. Um, for paddles, I'm still pretty old school. I still like the old school stroke maker um, yeah. because I can move the, yeah, I can move the tubing around for what I want it to do. And I don't know, it's just Isn't kind of that everybody's favorite paddle. It's mine. 
I, yeah, I was going to say there's a couple I've seen like where there's the thumb one, but I just feel like time and time again, people get a new paddle and then they go back to the stroke maker, but I've had other ones. Uh, so it, so it sounds like you, you definitely are using toys and you do use toys when people are doing actual like aerobic and fast sets, but, um, or I guess we should call them tools, not toys. Um, but you use them primarily for technique across the board or generally speaking. Yeah, okay. I would. That's, I would yeah, I think probably. that's a, a, a large majority of the work that your distance swimmers do is swim is just them swimming normally. Correct. Correct. Sometimes okay. we'll, we'll Jesse, did you have up with pull for distance swimmers? Gotcha. Okay. For sure. I, I was going to ask, what would you say are, um, like your top two or three areas of the stroke that if you just pop in and you haven't seen someone swim, like what's your checklist when you go look at a swimmer and granted you're a heck of a lot more advanced with your eye than most people or probably almost everybody listening to this podcast. But like, if you were watching that, what, what are like, uh, your first go-to like, Hey, you should have somebody check out your X, Y, Z while swimming. Yeah. I think it probably will surprise a little bit of people. Um, the two things that we spent a lot of time last season focused on with, with all of our athletes, because it can apply in all four strokes, um, is their head position and their hand entry position. Um, because if, if those two things are right, it's a whole lot easier for the rest of the stroke to be proper, um, to be, you're, you're setting yourself up to be able to be propulsive. Um, so head position, you know, how that, how your body's aligned in the water, um, and where your hand's going in the water, because I think, you know, those two things create a whole lot of bad habits that then we're, we're tweaking with underwater pull and how to, how to move your hand here or there, um, to fix that if they started right, they'd probably go right. So that's, that tends to be where we focus. And then I think if we're looking for ways to, to help someone get faster, um, as opposed to swim more, more technically correct. Um, it, it's kind of what they're doing in the mid pole, uh, phase underwater in freestyle. Um, can you talk about that head position and like, how, I guess, how do you verbalize it with your swimmers? I, I think that's, um, I mean, I think again, like adult onset swimmers or triathletes that one of the things they struggle probably most within the water is, is reducing that drag and, and I think it's always like, it's always hard to kind of verbalize what they should look like or, or how to think about it. So yeah, do, do you have a way in which you talk about like head and body position, or you talked about using snorkels, like a way you kind of like work with your athletes with that. And I know it's hard without being able to see a specific swimmer and telling them what they need to work on, but just like, kind of like talking about what the perfect swimmer might be doing with their head and how they're like holding their body. Yeah, I, you know, I think we'll, we'll definitely spend a little bit of time watching, you know, the first practice, we won't do any technique stuff. Um, but after that, you know, we, we'll go through the concepts. And when you think about head position, it's, it's either someone is their head's too low or their head's carrying too high. So it's all about getting their head basically in a neutral spine position, you know, just like you were to stand straight up, that's where you want your head. You don't want it, you know, jutting really far forward, like you're looking at your cell phone. Um, and nor do you want your yourself looking like you're looking up at the ceiling. Um, the latter is probably more frequently an issue for swimmers, 
um, because they're looking ahead uh, to see what's, what's coming, where the wall is, who the swimmer is in front of them, they're approaching their feet, um, those type of things. Um, so getting them to, to think about following the black line um, and having the water uh, be you know, in the center and the top of their head uh, is really important. And I think the snorkel causes, helps them with that because if they bury their head, if they push it down too much, um, the snorkel goes underwater. In the, so, so they start to feel like they're drowning. So it's like instant feedback um, that their head's too high or head's too low. Awesome. Um, I guess just to go along with that, I, another thing that I feel like, you know, triathletes kind of struggle with is, is the breathing piece. Um, and, and even like, I, I don't want to make this like, you know, swimming one-on-one, but for, even for an advanced swimmer, do you have like any, anything you work on in order to, to help them like breathe efficiently? Do you have a, a breathing pattern that you recommend for your distance swimmers or is that kind of individual? It's a little individual, um, but I think more often than not, people don't breathe enough. Um, they, they try to hold their breath. Um, and if I've made breathing changes over the last decade with athletes, it's generally been adding breaths. You know, someone comes in and they're breathing every four strokes. That's not that many breaths in a length of a pool. And if you're swimming 66 lengths of the pool, like that, that's trouble. Um, so, you know, some folks I'm going to go down to, to breathing every two, um, you know, they're breathing every stroke on the right side. Um, and, and I, I like that. I don't have an issue with that. I know, you know, some of my colleagues prefer breathing every three. I think some athletes breathing every three causes them to hold their breath a little bit too much. Um, so, so I, I don't jump into that immediately. I do think some of our athletes, um, need the breathing on both sides from a rotational aspect so that they get, you know, that left side, right side equivalent um, rotation within their, within their whole body with their breath. Um, so we'll go, you know, two, two, three. So they'll breathe twice on one side, three strokes, then breathe twice on the, that other side. Um, so those are my two kind of preferred breathing patterns for distance swimmers, depending on what they need rotationally. I I'm actually curious. So, so some of the coaches, we don't need to name them, but some coaches that you coach against are pretty adamant still about people breathing every in a distance race. I don't think it's in a race. I think, a, I think there's, you know, a, oh, in training. Of, yeah. In training. And I, I guess oh, okay. I'm a believer that what you're going to race, you should train. So yeah, yeah fair, fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. So I, I, I was like a little bit shocked to hear that there might be a whole team all doing BC three in a 1650, but, um, and you under, understood well, on the training front. You'll see it. You will see that. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. I just, I, I feel like, especially in the last five years, but, um, honestly, even since when I was learning how to swim 20 years ago, a lot of the people I ran across who were high level distance swimmers, um, were always going BC too. And they basically said, Hey, we want you to be able to swim and breathe to both sides comfortably. But when it comes to racing, you're racing. So just breathe away. Right. Um, so it's, sounds like, it sounds like you do kind of like make sure people are physio like balanced from a body position standpoint. Um, but you're getting as much air as you can for what's with that athlete. Absolutely. Um, last kind of assuming one Oh one question I have for you is, is on the kick for distance swimmers. Um, and again, this is, 
when we're thinking about triathletes here who are often in a wetsuit, um, do you have like a, a kick pattern or do you, is it just kind of natural for the athlete? Oh, kick is such a, such an interesting thing for a distance swimmer, right? Um, I don't, um, because I think it's so individual. I think you got to look at how the person is in the water. Um, a lot of times we'll emphasize to our distance swimmers, uh, doing a couple really good, strong, you know, kicks off the wall. Um, not, not their underwater dolphin kicks, but once they start swimming, you know, getting some good flutter kicks going. Um, a lot of them really come from a place where they don't kick all that much. Um, you know, they don't want to fatigue their legs and then, you know, four to 200 yards out from the end of the race, they're going to start to, to add that kick in as they, they increase tempo, um, to get their speed up. Some of our distance swimmers, their kick is part of who they are and it's driven and they're four to six beat kick the entire time, all the time. Um, but a lot of them come to us with not too much of a kick. And I hesitate to push too, too hard on kicking because sometimes it has a, a detrimental effect. It fatigues them too much. Sure so if they can maintain that body position, you know, in the water with whatever level of kick they have, um, you know, it's not something we spend an enormous amount of time on. So unless somebody had a real body position issue and the lazy kick, uh, a slower beat kick, you wouldn't really have them increasing their kick. Not uh, to an outside of walls. Sure. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's and, fair. and you have to remember, I mean, you're talking once you had, you know, you're probably only talking 15 yards of the, the pool, the pool that, that I'm saying that they're not doing some type of kick yeah. for sure. Yeah. Cause all of every single person you're coaching, they're racing in a 25 yard pool. They're exactly. not doing, you're not racing long course. And so distance swimming is still heavily turned, um, in right. 25, right. You got five to seven yards off the wall with your underwater kick. And then you're, you're asking them to do, you know, some good, good kicks right out of the, right through the breakout stroke. You're probably at 10 yards at that point. So that makes sense. Um, for your distance swimmers, wait, like I'm assuming they do speed work like faster than race pace. Um, what kind, like, what is the top end of your distance swimmers speed work? What does that look like? Is it the exact same as your sprinters? Is it, you know, is 50 pace? Is it hundred pace? Um, maybe not the fastest one they ever do in the whole year, but like as your weekly fastest swim of the week, what kind of paces and efforts are they hitting and, and what's your kind of thought process behind that? Yeah, I think that, I think that's, that probably comes down to the fact that you've got to be a pretty versatile, um, athlete to, to be a collegiate swimmer. Most of them at conference championships are going to swim seven races, you know, so you, you're, they're probably going to swim the 500 and the 1650 as distance swimmers, then they're going to swim some other third individual event. So, you know, kind of thinking about who our athletes are right now, we have folks that are doing the 400 IM, the 200 fly, um, the 200 free um, as their kind of third event. So, and then they're going to probably be in relays. So they might be in the 800 free relays, they're getting the 200 free, or maybe the, the two or the four medley or the two or the four free. Um, so, so they're doing some all out sprint training that everybody on the team is doing. Um, we're readying 
the entire team of 40 athletes to be able to swim a good 50, 100 and 200 freestyle. So they're doing that very similar, same work as a sprinter is doing. They're just not doing all the extra sprint work that a sprinter is doing. You know, some of that shared work that we do together in our presets or in, you know, sets that are all together, um, say on Mondays or Fridays, um, is going to emphasize that 50, 100, 200 freestyle for, for everybody because of the, the neat necessary versatility. So then, so your, your distance swimmers are multiple times a week in their warm up, still touching on some pretty top end speed or the yeah, preset or second set. Yeah, probably yep. two, two, three times a week. We're maybe two times a week early in the season, two, three times a week later in the season, pushing them to, to see what they can do for all out. It might only be, you know, short, it might be four twenty fives. It might not be a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to, we're going to ask them to get up and go. Um, it's kind of a running joke in our team that I, I tell distance swimmers that um, sprinters can't swim distance, but distance swimmers can sprint. So, you know, you have, you've got to be able to, to sprint essentially at the end of a distance race. Yeah. You know, how many times have we watched yeah. that epic last 25 and you want to, you want to be Bobby Fink on the outs, you know, charging people down on that last 25 or last 50 meters, like he did in the Olympics. Um, and if you don't, do that high level speed work. I don't know that you have to have that in the tank to, to go from. And I, well, I guess I don't know, but if you were, if they only had to swim the thousand, you know, you probably would still have that programmed at least twice a week. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I, I wish I had the, there's uh, a lot of, the oh, no, there's, there's just a lot of, uh, <laughs> I had a feeling, but, uh, there's a lot of people listening to this who maybe don't, aren't sprinting all that often. Um, or if they are sprinting, maybe they're more flailing than sprinting. And they, you know, a lot of, a lot of triathletes need to make sure they're focusing on their technique. Um, but they can only sprint for so long. What does that look like? Um, and just having a diverse array of speeds kind of helps everyone, especially the, a lot of the people that Jesse and I work with. Is that fair to say, Jesse? Yeah, no, one of the things I, I really like to work on with my athletes is, I mean, having a gearbox in the pool. And I think that's, um, that can be hard for, you know, like people that are adult onset swimmers. And it sounds like you touch on a lot of different speeds with your athletes throughout the course of the week, um, which is, which is cool to hear. Um, one kind of side question off of that are, are any of your swims like, uh, like I don't know that two Tuesday, Thursday or anything, or is it like, is it ever just totally easy or is there always like some amount of, of work in the swim set? Um, so I, th I think sometimes it's hard to think that, uh, in, within a two hour practice, there's going to be totally easy. Uh, cause you're that's, still, moving that's a that. long time in the pool. You're still moving for that long. You're right. Um, Certainly during, during our winter training period, um, we'll have recovery days, you know, we'll have a recovery practice where they're coming in and it's, we'll do some technique work. We'll, we'll stretch it out. We'll do some long, easy swims. Um, and then we'll call it a day. Maybe we only went for an hour, um, less during regular academic session. Do we do complete recovery practices? Um, we might, 
like on a Wednesday, it's not atypical for us to come in, warm up, do a short preset that gets us to about, you know, 35 minutes of practice um, and then spend, you know, 30 to 45 minutes doing some type of fast quantitative pace oriented set. And then that leaves me another 30 to 45 minutes to just do easy, slow recovery, set it up for the next day work. Um, so it's more often than not that it'll be a piece of practice than a whole practice. Cool. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Ellie, do you have a different question over there? Uh, no, none that's <laughs> going to, none that could be summed up quickly. <laughs> um, I guess, do you have any, any kind of like go-to sets? Would you say that kind of that descending rest type of set is, is maybe a go-to that they're going to do with various send-offs and, and various amounts of intensity throughout the year? Like you said, maybe they'll start out with like four by 100 early season and get up to 18 or 20 by 100 late season. Um, is that like kind of one progression that you might see, or do you have any other sets where you're like, okay, I know that I'm going to hit like hit this. And, and again, it's kind of specifically talking about the distance swimmers. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously the hundred one is, is a piece of it. Um, and there'll be other components within it. You know, sometimes we'll do, you know, a 400, you know, just long and strong, you know, steady state swimming. And then four 100s were just, you know, number two and four um, are focused on, you know, being at pace. Um, that might be something that we maybe do two or three times within the same practice. Um, and then later on in the season, you know, all four are going to be aimed to be at pace. Um, and then we'll start to, to build in so that the hundreds are more um, consistent. Um, so I like doing stuff like that. Uh, we'll also do sets of anywhere from 10 to 30 fifties uh, on, on lots of rest on, you know, 30 to a minute um, rest uh, where we're, we're asking them to hold a particular time. Uh, and those ones, I think, get the distance swimmers geared up because they're doing that pace for so long. Um, and again, the rest varies depending on where we are in the season. Um, I don't, I do do some other sets that are more rest-based. Um, so like just simple 10, 100s on 10 seconds rest you know, go figure out your average time. We'll do it a couple times over the course of the season. Um, a lot of times they'll like that because they'll have an idea of kind of what, what their pace is, what they're holding. Um, and, and maybe even we'll replicate that uh, on a Saturday when they swim the thousand that same week. Uh, so so that, that's another one that we use pretty frequently. Nice, awesome. Um, I guess the last thing I just wanted to touch on for some of our listeners, because I, I hear this a lot that like, why do swimmers swim so much? They're just going to go and swim, you know, for 50 seconds. Why are they putting all this work? But I mean, you kind of mentioned it a little bit throughout the podcast, but I don't, I don't know if a lot of athletes really grasp how draining like a three day meet is where they're swimming seven times, like really hard. Um, so it's not just that 50 seconds, eh? No, it's not. And, and it's, it's worse now, Jesse, than it was when you were swimming for me, um, because we're 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 at a place where in Division Three, our conference championship and the NCAA Division Three championship is is a men's and women's meet, so it's actually a four day meet. So we'll be we'll be Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday trials and finals. So you know, say say you're a distance swimmer, you swim the 500 free in the morning on Wednesday, you do real well, you get to swim the 500 free again Wednesday night, um, and then you know 
maybe your second event is, is gonna be the 200 free. You're hopefully gonna do that same thing on Thursday. And then on Sunday or Saturday, excuse me, you're gonna to get to do the mile, the 1650. Fortunately, you only have to do that one once, um, but you might also get to do you know, a relay or two every day over those four days. Um, so it, it's definitely the cumulative effect of all of the races, plus the warm-ups and warm-downs every single day. Um, so, you know, in, in order to, to ready yourself to, to race Wednesday morning, Wednesday night, um, you've got to do your warm-up in the water um, and then swim down after you've competed to ready yourself for, for swimming again later that night. And it's just out of volume. It's yeah. a lot of volume, exactly. If you're getting ready for something like the 500, like what would your warm up look like? I mean, I know it's, it's super individual, but kind of ballpark. Um, for most of our athletes, they're going to probably do somewhere in the neighborhood of probably 1600 to, to 2000 swim. Um, some of it's going to be pace. Some of it's just going to be easy swimming, some drill work um, to get them ready. Um, but probably somewhere in that neighborhood, 1600 to 2000. Yeah, no, I mean, totally makes sense, right? I feel like I never feel good until at least like a thousand into a swim set. And then, but yeah, think about doing that twice a day with two all out 500s. It's, um, it's a big day. It is a big day. It's by, by the time we get to day four, um, they're, they're definitely tapped. And that's, that's why we don't start taper too, too early. Um, and it's, you know, you guys know this and I don't want to jump into a different topic, but it's why, you know, nutrition and what they're eating and how they're sleeping becomes a huge piece of how they do at a championship meet. That's cool. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if that was a piece of the, I mean, I know that was when I was swimming, but I feel like it's getting more and more even like, um, as we learn more about that. Yeah. Indeed. Awesome. Well, I don't know. Do, do you have anything else you want to just, just add any, anything you want to throw out there for triathletes that they should know, or because I feel like I've learned a lot. Somebody's listening and and they have a child that maybe is looking to swim at Skidmore. Well, you can always find me on the Skidmore swimming and diving website. Um, that that's pretty easy. Um, I think, I think the biggest thing for triathletes is, is to, to relax. Um, I think there, there's a quote, Jesse, it, it was probably, it was probably in the, the intro, um, manual I gave you about nothing being, uh, you know, more humbling than water. Um, and you know, that it kind of it is something that, that challenges and tests you. Um, so kind of embracing that challenge and, and relaxing into the water, um, focusing on breathing. Um, and kind of once you figure out that, then you're able to, to get more speed and power and strength uh, in the water. I think a lot of times people fight the water rather than embrace it. Um, so I think that's the biggest thing that, that I see different between you know, someone that's maybe been swimming competitively since they were six years old and someone coming to triathlons later in life. Awesome. I, well I said. yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I think that is a, a great place to end it. If we're going to leave one thought with people that, because they're probably not going to remember the first 50 minutes, but if they can just remember that, that's pretty good. You be with the water. There you go. Thanks well, for coming on, Jill. We yeah, I really appreciate you spending the time with us. It was, uh, I took notes, so that's always a good sign. I think. I, I did too. Awesome. All yeah. right. Well, thank you guys. And yeah, they can find you at the Skidmore Swimming and Diving website. Um, so hopefully you can uh, keep growing the program. We'll keep trying. Thank you, Jesse. Thank you. All right. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Jesse.